We do thank you, Lord. Thank you that you gather us unto yourself. Thank you that you speak your word. And thank you that you give us your spirit to receive your word and for it to take root in our hearts. Come, Holy Spirit, and anoint us. We thank you and praise your name. I've just returned from a Young Men of God conference at the Tops Conference Centre. We had about 130 young men there. And it was just a wonderfully anointed moment. And on the Saturday night, all the new fellows, a lot of them sort of uh, just in that year 11 and 12 or, or just after school, coming forward and just giving their lives over to Jesus and opening their lives to the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Don't you love those sort of moments? Jesus asked that question here at the end of the Gospel. When the Son of Man returns, will he find any faith on the earth? What do you think? Yes! You'll find your faith, huh? I trust you'll find my faith too. <coughs> and many others whose lives have been touched through our work of bringing the good news of Jesus. Yes, we trust that he'll find faith on the earth. But we have to say, Lord, increase our faith. Because we are so weak. And we live in a society that has abandoned you, Lord. We live in a secularized society that's given up on you and believes that it can go ahead without you. Lord, help us not to go down that track into such an illusion. Help us not to go into such darkness. But keep the light of faith burning within us so we can truly believe that you are the one, Lord, who will be ultimately the solution to the deepest questions of the human heart. You, Lord, are our hope. Now we're in a battle. There's no doubt about the battle. But it's an unseen enemy. Yes, of course, people oppose the church and people speak badly of us and things like that. That's one level. But there's something else happening where the evil spirit, the unseen enemy, is at work. And it's much more insidious, you see, uh, because it's the unseen work of the evil one that we need to be in battle against. It's not flesh and blood that we're fighting, Paul says, but it is the powers in, in, uh, of darkness, the evil spirits that are at work in this world, stirring up disunity, hatred, rebellion, stirring up uh, enmity between people. So we're in a battle, and oftentimes we're not fully aware of this spiritual battle. And so it's good to get a text like we have in today's first reading, where, you know, in the Old Testament, when you hear these battle stories, 
we know that the way we're meant to interpret them in the spirit, in the light of Jesus, is as a spiritual battle. And so the story is being told that the Israelites were in battle with the Amalekites. And the battle was taking place on a plain. And Moses, the leader of the Israelites, goes up to the top of the mountain that overlooks this battle and begins to pray. And as long as he holds his arms outstretched and is calling upon the help of God, the Israelites prevail in the battle. But if he drops his arms down and tires in the business, then the Amalekites will prevail. <laughs> so he has to have himself in prayer at all times. But he gets an old man, he's getting tired. And so he gets uh, Aaron and, and Ur to hold his arms up. It's a symbol of the community. We, the community. Helping one another to have our focus upon the Lord and all of our struggles and all of our temptations and all of our difficulties and all of the strife that we find ourselves in, that we find the church in as well, we're crying out to God because he is our only help and he will come to our aid if we are faithful in our prayer to him. As with Moses, uh, so also with us in our intercession, we call it spiritual warfare. There's a battle and we need to hold firm in the battle and remain strong in our faith in God. That ultimately, God's will prevails. Now, human beings are unable to thwart the path of God and the plan of God. We think we can. We think we can establish things on this earth by ourselves. But it's only by God's providence that we are here in the first place. And he holds everything in his provident care. And, and he will have his way eventually. So when we come into the Eucharist, it's really good for us to remember what's happening here. You see, it seemed like when Jesus hung on that cross, it seemed like it was all over. He was, the Son of God was put to death. But he rose from the dead. He's risen. And there's the victory. All the evil and darkness came out against him to do him the Son of God. But he rose from the dead, raised by the Father's power. There is our victory. And so when we come to the Mass, we come of all the struggles of this world and all the pain and difficulty. We come of all of the awareness of the evil that can attack us. And we bring it all here. And, and we experience the very event of Jesus, his death and his resurrection, the victory that he has won. He's put all things under his feet. He's the glorious Lord. And we experience the risen Lord here. 
And so you may have an area in your life, for example, where it's a besetting sin, where there seems to be an attack constantly against you. You're finding it difficult to overcome this thing. So the evil one has a bit of an access to you. But you bring it here. And he, you plug into the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you eat the body of the Lord into that area of your life. And you drink the blood of Jesus into that area of your life for purification. Now we, we are a victorious people. We're meant to walk in that victory. Not to be torn apart by whatever's going on in our lives that we think uh, is going to undo us. We need to plug into the victory of the Lord. The responsorial psalm speaks of so well. Our help is from the Lord who made heaven and earth. That's where our help is. I lift my eyes up to him. And there's where my help will come from. From the Lord. He made the heavens and the earth. Everything's in his hands. My help will come from him. The Lord is your God. He's at the, your right hand. He stands. He will guard you from evil and will guard your soul. The Lord will guard your going and coming both now and forever. He is our great protector. He is our strength because we are so weak and we are so prone to evil ourselves. So in these days, the temptations are great. The temptation even to abandon the faith. The temptation to lose hope. The temptation to give in, maybe, to flesh desires. They're great. And it's all pressing upon us. But there's no reason for us to go under. But we can stand firm in the Lord, in his strength that he gives. He is the Lord. I love that text from 1 Corinthians 10, where it says that God is faithful. And he'll never allow you to be tested beyond your strength. And in every testing, he'll give you the way through by his grace. This is how, what God is like. We need to claim it very much in our lives. And so Jesus gives us this beautiful parable in, in the gospel about asking, asking the Lord. We ask the Lord for healing of our hearts. We ask the Lord for breaking patterns of sin that have sort of set into our lives. You know, the young men today are saying, he will break your addictions. Allow him to. Bring it to him. Believe in him. Trust in him. You know? And we all want to change. There's areas in our life where we need to change. You know, we are guaranteed, it's church teaching, we are guaranteed that if we come to God straight from the scriptures, if we come to God with confidence in him, if we come to him in the name of Jesus and we ask the Father for anything that's for our sanctification or for our salvation, it will be given to us. It will be given. It's the promise of God. He will do it. But we must have confidence. It's like a trusting attitude, a childlike attitude before the Father. See, when the Son of Man comes, will he find any faith? Yes, he'll find us full of faith. He'll find us trusting in God the Father. We'll be childlike in, in reaching out and knowing that he will give us everything that we need, that we really need, 
Not the things that false needs. If you're asking for winning the lottery, can't guarantee it. Not at all. But if you're asking for chastity, I can guarantee it. It's not my guarantee, it's the Lord's guarantee. Or if you're asking to overcome that anger problem, I can guarantee it. Because it's for your good and it's the will of God, he will do it. But there's a catch. You don't only have to be confident, you have to persevere in asking. Because the battle can be strong, huh? You have to persevere. And Jesus gives us this image for us of this widow who's begging the, the judge to give her her just dues and, and to solve the case in her favour. But he won't do it. He's ignoring her. And so she pesters him and pesters him until finally the judge gives in. Maybe I have neither fear of God nor respect for man, but since she keeps pestering me, I must give this widow her just rights or she'll persist in coming and worrying me to death. What a good image. That's the image of how we are to stand before God. This is what Jesus is telling us. He says, look, the Lord is not an unjust judge, but sometimes he delays in giving you what you ask. And he's got a purpose in that. And so you have to continually ask and cry out to him for yourself and for others in faith not to persevere. That's what it says here. Will not God see justice done to his chosen who cry to him day and night even when he delays to help them? Aha. He does delay St. Augustine asked the question, why does he delay? Why doesn't he just give it to me straight away? He knows it's for my good. Why don't I receive it straight away? Or why does he delay to bring conversion to that person I've been praying for? Why does he delay? Good question, huh? You ever asked that question? Well, St. Augustine says that firstly, he wants our hearts to be expanded in desire and longing so that we'll grow more in our dependency upon him and we'll know that we depend upon him. So he delays a little to allow that to sort of build up in our hearts so that when the gift is given, we really know it's come from God. We haven't generated it. And the second reason St. Augustine says is that God does not want us to be spoiled children. Spoiled children get everything straight away, don't they? And they don't grow well because they just become presumptuous upon their parents. The parents are always just going to hand out this and hand out that and hand out that. But God doesn't want to be that sort of parent. He wants to be our Father who loves us so much. He knows what's best for us and he will sometimes delay for your own good so that when you receive the gift, you'll appreciate it. You'll be deeply grateful and you'll walk humbly in it rather than prideful about it because, oh, I got it just straight away. It's like that. So persevere in praying. You see, we pray once, we pray twice, and then we 
Forget about oh, he hasn't, hasn't answered, you see. Ah, but this is one parable. Jesus told another parable. The parables he told about prayer are all about perseverance. Will you persevere in prayer? I like to tell people about that guy who was praying for his friend. We'll call him John Morgan. I think I've forgotten his name. But anyway, John Morgan. <laughs> he was praying for his friend, for the conversion of his friend, you know? And, and he prayed every day. He loved this man. It was a, you know, they were good friends, good mates, but this guy was not a believer. And he prayed daily for him and begged the Lord right through the whole of his life journey. Because they were mates right through. And his friend never changed, never opened his heart to God. And so John died, never having seen the effects of his prayer. But as the funeral was taking place, and as John's body was being lowered down into the grave, his friend was so full of deep grief for having lost this man who had loved him so much that he began to weep. And as he wept, he began to call upon God. And as he called upon God, he began to experience the saving power of Jesus Christ. And his conversion happened. That's called perseverance in prayer. <laughs> Persevere to your grave. You grandmothers have been praying for your grandchildren, praying for your sons or daughters. Well, persevere. Don't give up. That's the point, huh? Keep it going. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful in its effects, we're told in James. But remember James also said, the reason why you don't get what you need is because you don't pray for it. And when you do pray, you pray to indulge your own selfish desires. You can't be guaranteed to receive anything that's about your own selfish desires. But if it's about your own sanctification, you can be guaranteed God will come through if you persevere. And if it's about the conversion of others, you can't be totally guaranteed that because it's about their will. But at the same time, you can cry out to God because it's God's purpose and will that every human being will be saved. And so let's cry out confidently to the Lord, not being afraid, asking him to break the strongholds that can be in people's hearts, asking him to move in a new way. There's a beautiful text in Ezekiel, I think it's Ezekiel 22, 30, where God is brooding over the land and he uses his prophet to speak out God's sadness, as it were. He said, I looked for a person who would stand in the breach for this land and I found none. What's it mean to stand in the breach? Well, the idea is that the wall of the city had been breached right, by the, by the, the armies coming against it. And so that you have to, there's someone who will stand in the breach, stand in the gap, and stand for God, and stand for those who are going, need to be defended. Put their life on the line, as it were, for the sake of 
what is good and right and true and beautiful. Now the bishops of Australia, I understand, have called us to intercede for family life in this month. To have a special heart for family because we know that family is under attack in this society. We don't have to cast blame on anybody. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of darkness in people's minds. There's a lot of uh, uh, such lies and untruth around. But the point is, God can overcome all that. So we come, and we come to the Eucharist as God's people in this time to intercede, to cry out to God on behalf of family life in this country and in the world. Because the Western world is careering out of control. It's, it's sort of like lost its moorings, its moral moorings. And, and we know that we're in trouble. The great darkness that's there is, is, is horrendous. And the confusion in people's lives is just shocking. And we are the ones who, by God's grace, and only by his grace, we can't be proud about it, but we can certainly come humbly before the Lord and cry out to God, on behalf of those who have lost and have no understanding of what it truly means to, to, to be married, no understanding of what it truly means to have a body and, and, and sexuality as a gift for others, we can cry out to God, cry out to Him, and stand in the gap, as it were. Now, the wall's been breached, but, uh, but God is with us. And, and ask Him. Beg him, persevere in prayer. Let's uh, stand in faith in these troubled times where uh, it's almost like people are trying to turn the society upside down, as it were. Mess around with fundamental values that are fundamental to what it is to be a human being. This is a time for prayer. It's a time to stand in the gap. It's a time for intercession. It's a time for spiritual warfare. It's a time to know that, yes, the victory has been won in Jesus Christ and we know the truth is found in the teaching of the church. And we can't stand arrogant in any way because our own lives are so broken and weak and we, we, we are weak. But God is strong and God has the truth. And so we need to cry out, persevere, not to give up and believe and trust in the Lord. So when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? Yes, he'll find us faith-filled. We may be reduced in numbers because people have succumbed to the powers of darkness and allowed their lives to go in a ruinous way. But we choose another path. We choose the narrow path that leads to salvation. It's a hard path, but it's a rough path, but it's a true path. And we cry out to God on behalf of our brothers and sisters who we know have gone down that wide and narrow path, wide and spacious path that leads to destruction, we cry out for them. We cry out for the salvation of all men and women. Yes, we, we, we trust the Lord that he, in his mercy, will break into the lives of those who have lost all sense of proportion, all sense of what it really means to be a human being. So come, Lord Jesus. Come with your power and your grace. Come in this Eucharist. Yes, we want your power in our own personal lives so that we can change the stuff in our lives that most needs to be changed. We don't want to be sort of burdened, Lord, by these besetting areas of sin. Come and cleanse and purify our heart, Lord God, 
But come also our world, Lord, that seems to have lost you, seems to have turned its back on you, seems to be sort of carving out a society that doesn't speak of the kingdom of God at all. Lord, come. Turn this around too. We're in the battle, Lord. We're standing like like Moses on the top of that mountain and we're going to have our hands up to you. We're not going to give up. We're going to cry out to you, Lord God. And we trust you and we believe that you can do it. The victory has already been won by your cross, Lord Jesus. That's a defining event of human history. And we believe and trust in you. We give our lives over to you, Lord Jesus. Yours is the victory. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. You are now the Lamb of God uh, in in heaven, uh, sitting on the throne. And we turn to you and we trust in your power and your authority that it will be found here on earth. We pray every day, your kingdom come, your will be done on this earth. And bless the name of the Lord.